You're entering the GOAT Zoom Room. We're in the GOAT Zoom Room. This is Andy and no cat, no cat. I almost said no Catherine today, but that's who we have on. No Caitlin today, uh, but I have a really special guest. Usually we say special guest, but this is actually a really cool guest. Uh, she, and before everybody asks, well, Catherine Terrell's in the house and why do you have an athletic football beat writer on today? And the short answer is because she's also really sharp as a whip when it comes to horse racing. That's how she got her start over at NOLA. And thank you, Catherine, for finally making, or not finally making time, but finally for us to get together and actually do this Zoom. I know I've been wanting to do it for a while, so I appreciate you coming on. Hey, I'm glad we finally found a time to do it. I mean, it's been so crazy lately uh, between finally getting time off from the NFL and it going right into craziness with horse racing that I could never in a million years have really anticipated. Maybe I should have, but uh, so it's been nonstop, but um, I'm glad we finally have a few minutes uh, to actually sit down and chat. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always good. For those that do not know of Catherine's resume, she started at, uh, I think you started with Michael, or not Michael Baychuk, but you started in Louisiana Downs, or Fairgrounds, mm -hmm. uh, covering that race meet. How long were you there for? So I started at the Times-Picayune uh, covering horse racing in the Saints from 2012 to 2016 before I moved to Cincinnati. And now I'm back in New Orleans, but I work for the athletic now. So now it's almost entirely NFL, but I get to uh, still do some horse racing stuff from time to time, which is great. Uh, I know it's part, it's part of your passion. And I know the only thing that is bigger as far as passion is your LSU fandom. But um, talk about... Talk about what you did over there at the Times Picayune, because I know you wrote an article back in, oh, geez, I want to say right when you started, maybe, about the whole situation with horse racing there. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that takes me back. Uh, in 2013, we ran a five-part series about what was going on with Churchill, <coughs> Churchill Downs' ownership with the fairgrounds at the time. And that was back when Calder still existed, but was uh, on its last legs, I think. So the main intention that we were trying to write about or bring attention to was how the track was kind of being let go in favor of the casino. Uh, in Louisiana, you have to have an 80-day race meet in, in order to be able to run the slot machines, which is a huge revenue maker obviously for Churchill Downs and, and we're seeing things like this happen and we're still talking about this in general eight years later but um, you know we ran this five-part series and it was actually one of the things I'm most proud of in my career because it kind of brought enough attention and pressure to Churchill Downs that they had to put a million dollars back in the racetrack which actually the racetracks go probably isn't much but it was enough to fix that turf course and I don't know if you tried to handicap Turf, turf races at the fairgrounds back then, uh, but it was pretty much a lost cause back in those days. I'm, I'm glad it came to the attention, and I think Arlington, the Arlington Park situation is another one that Churchill Downs has kind of, uh, kind of squandered their opportunity because they just want to have slot machines and they don't care about the racetrack, which is sad. But 
you know, with, with everything said and done, it is a business. And if you're not making money, I guess it's time to get rid of it and move on, sadly. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, they are making money. I mean, it's so – I'm sure it's so hard for horse players to, to see this. I've never been to Arlington, but it's always one of those places I've wanted to go because I know it's such a beautiful track. And honestly, back in the <laughs> – earlier years of Calder people used to say that was a beautiful track before it became what it became. And I mean, I know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with Turfway uh, now that Churchill Downs has bought it, but you know, a big part of the reason they bought it is uh, to turn part of Turfway into a historical gaming uh, parlor. And I mean, it, a lot of it is focused on gaming. Now, hopefully that's going to be the best thing that could have happened to the track. I, I don't know. We'll see. But it, it's so hard to watch this happen because, unfortunately, the racetracks are worth more to sold to developers than they are used as racetracks. And it, it's, a, it's a question that lingers around Santa Anita right now and I'm sure some other racetracks. One day, Pimlico, too, uh, it's, it's, it's hard because it's like once it starts coming up, it like doesn't stop until the racetrack is gone. Like Hollywood Park's demise is predicted years and years ahead of it shutting down. So yeah, this is like, this, this is like a sad topic, but uh, unfortunately it's reality. And, you know, one of the, one of the issues with that is the fact that I think the sport has suffered for lack of a better word. It doesn't know how to get it, get out of its own way and basically continuously punches itself in the eye to continuously give itself a black eye. Hence, in part, the drug scandals and with Bob Baffert and also Linda Rice and her situation with her getting suspended for three years for trying to figure out who was entering where. And, I mean, what? obviously, something needs to change. What do you – Mike said he – there should be a commissioner. What do you think? Oh, I've said there should be a national board or, or something for years. Um, hopefully when, I don't even know the right words for it. Uh, when they have the regulatory board for, for doping, like come together, I, I think in 2022, who knows if that's going to help or not. But the thing is, I mean, it, it's, it's mind boggling how it's this sport where you could go to Kentucky and get in trouble and then you can just take your horses to another state and you're fine or you just enter them under your other trainer's name and everyone knows what you're doing and it doesn't matter or i mean just look at the fines for some of these drug overdoses like 500 a thousand i mean it, it doesn't prevent people from cheating and it's hard because not only is every state have different rules and, and different ways of doing things but the real cheaters are kind of, I feel like evolving faster than the test right now can catch them. I mean, you saw that with um, service and, and, and things like that, where they had all these, well, I say all these, where they had a drug that was undetectable. So, I mean, man, it's, it's like, how, how fast can you make new tests to come up with this stuff? I, I don't know. There, there's so many issues right now. And I feel like people are trying to solve them, but horse racing as a whole kind of wants to dig in its heels and not evolve and change yet. And it's hard because um, it really has to do something or the overall public sentiment is going to turn against the sport for the worst. And I would like to not see that happen. Yeah. The situation I remember, I don't know if I told you this or we were chatting about it 
through messages, but back in the early mid nineties, I used to say, follow the chemist, because if you knew who the chemist was, that was walking to the, through the barn area, that's who you would, that's who you would follow as far as the track was concerned to make bets on. And now it's like, it's kind of like the tree, but with Baffert, there is no real tree. I mean, Owen Hardy doesn't win at a high rate because Owen Hardy's a horseman. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Tim Yakteen doesn't win at a high rate. So, I mean, guys that have been under him haven't really had the same success. And you can't say it's because they don't get the stock because uh, Owen Hardy gets good dolphin horses. So I don't understand why all of a sudden, what the difference is other than maybe something's in the water. Like they say, it's the feed kind of deal. <laughs> or, or the hay or, or, or whatever, whatever it is today. But you're absolutely right. And I mean, there's two. So, so first of all, all of these drug issues turn on, are starting to turn away the hardcore horse players uh, because they are just getting tired of it. Like, at, God, after the Derby, I'm not sure I've ever seen so many of my handicapper friends so frustrated. Just like, I, I mean, I, rem- I feel like I saw at least seven or eight people that were just saying, like, I don't know if I can just keep doing this. I'm so frustrated. Like, how are we supposed to, to play this game if we can't beat the system or whatever? That's not a lack, for lack of a better term. And then there's the other issue with the casual horse player that how do we draw them in? Because if they think that these horses are, are being abused, if that is their sense, then why would they ever, how could they ever be convinced to, to come over and see what horse racing is all about or, or the, the good part of it or the good things they can bring? So, yeah, I mean, it, it's got kind of a twofold problem right now. It's, uh, it's really bad because you look at the way Gulfstream tries to Gulfstream, uh, Churchill Downs, even Breeders' Cup to some extent, they try to cater to the people that have the most money, the higher-end profile people that probably are not going to go to the track. You're going to probably get the kids to go to the track, the college kids. They don't do that. And Louisville's right across, UL's right across the street. You would think they would try to cater to them a little more. Uh, But the bigger issue is the optics of it. All of a sudden now, since the ban, since they were testing on pre and post race, Baffert's over. Like no horses that he has fired this weekend. And I had said prior to the Derby, the Kentucky Derby, that earlier in during the Breeders' Cup, I think it was like 2012 or 2000, right in that era, uh, it was at Santa Anita, and they said no Lasix out of competition testing, and we're going to watch your barns like a hawk and he had all these great horses lined up and none of them fired in fact most of them looked really tucked in and now you go to preakness and i saw the photos of of medina spirit and concert tour and there was a handicapper that said wow look at concert tour he looks like a he looks like a monster and i'm like i i texted uh caitlin free and i'm like um he looks really sunk in so does Medina Spirit. They're not firing today, this week. And it was just weird that all of a sudden, the minute that his eyes, everyone's looking at him, he doesn't, he doesn't fire. So all those that are on his corner, 
what do you make of it? I mean, what, what's their, what's their denial or what, how they can deny it? Well, I, I mean, I, I of course think that Baffert deserves due process like anyone else. Like I'm, I get that. Uh, however, it's just, I don't know how much you can expect the general public to take or how many excuses that you can expect them to believe or people that have been around the industry in that matter. I mean, if, if uh, contamination of a horse is so easy, then why aren't we seeing the other big trainers I deal with it over and over again? I mean, uh, Todd Pletcher's not testing positive or with horse, his horses left and right. I mean, I know he's had a few, but I mean, I just looked him up the other day. It's not much. I mean, I think his last really big one was Princess of Samar for actually for the same thing um, the Baffert tested positive for, uh, but that was in 2014. I mean, that was a long time ago. So why isn't Pletcher dealing with these problems? But I mean, I think that what bothers me is what Baffert is trying to do is, he, and he's done it. I've, I've looked back over his quotes and he's done it with all of his major positive tests this year. He keeps saying they shouldn't be disqualifications because he doesn't like how the testing is. Well, too bad. Like that's the rules. You know the rules. So just because you don't like the rules doesn't mean you can argue, well, they shouldn't have been DQ'd or potentially DQ'd in Medina Spirit's case. So I don't, I just don't know why like that's the tactic he's taking. Like maybe he thinks on in interviews with the general public, they'll agree with them, but it's not going to change what the racing commission feels like, but maybe it will. I mean, they've overturned plenty of his this year. So yeah. Maybe See, my biggest, my biggest problem with this is, he throws the grooms under the bus or he throws somebody under the bus. It's never his fault. He's always the victim. And I, I posted it online. I said, you know, I would have more respect for Baffert if he just said, you know what? I got caught. My fault. Give me He's the there. fine or whatever. And I'd be like, okay, well, all right. Now, now we're talking. But he doesn't do that. And now – because he's got a backtrack, he's using the fact that he put something on the horse's butt. But how much stuff do you have to put on a horse's butt for that to be a positive? That's a great question. It's requiring us all to be chemists. But I mean, I know Pimlico said that he showed him his vet records. But it, when I was telling people, I said, okay, most tracks, if not every track, requires your vet to write down every single thing they give to the horse. So if if Medina Spirit tests positive for beta-methasone, all you have to do is go look in your vet books for the last month, maybe even six weeks. Let's extend it to six weeks, even though the withdrawal period is two weeks. And you could find, you would find that information in 20 minutes, but it took yeah. two days. I mean, that's information that if you're at all organized, which you should be, if you were handling horses of this caliber, or really any horses, then it shouldn't take two days to say, oh, uh, yeah, we, we gave him this ointment and my vet didn't tell me what was in it, which I find very, very hard to believe. But, I mean, it's just all of these things. It's like, could it be true? Maybe, but it, it's, a lot, it's a lot of bad luck for the same person in the span of a very short period of time. Yeah, I think I, I, think I wrote down that. I, th I think I tweeted out something that he must have Schlepperock and 
cousin Oliver working for him at his barn because how else would you be that unlucky other than having those two guys there? Before yeah. we let you go, because I know you've got to run soon, I do have a couple questions. I know that New Orleans is your 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 hometown and all that, and I know that the Saints are a hometown team, but you covered the Bengals for ESPN for a while. Can you discuss the difference in fan bases <laughs> at all? Because I see it differently than you do, but I, I want to know your – your experience with the fan base we've probably talked about this um so they're about as different as two fan bases can be and it's it's fascinating because i've covered the saints let's see 12 13 14 15 19 20 so i'm wow going into my seventh season covering the saints covered the Bengals for three years for three seasons so the Bengals fan base is incredibly frustrated with the people that own the Bengals. So they kind of hate the team, but they don't hate the team. They just hate everything the team does. So when you're not negative enough, they're like, why aren't you more negative about what's going on with the team? So it's almost like I know in their hearts, they don't hate their team, but they're so frustrated at Mike Brown. It comes across that way. And then the Saints fan base feels very much like it's us against the world because they felt like it, after Katrina, everyone abandoned them. I mean, their previous owner tried to move the team to San Antonio at the lowest point in everyone's life. So they kind of like take the team as this is our team. We are going to protect this team with everything we have. Um, it, it's I know we all don't care about it, but we do. So if you're too negative, then they get upset, um, especially if it's like an outsider being negative. So it's just two different ways that people or fans approach the team. And I will say that Bengals fans, I think the past two years or year since basically since Burrow got here, it, it's kind of changed because they feel like the team is finally taking the steps to be a winning team. And I think that they're proud of that and they're excited and it, Burrow represents like what the team could be. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe you have a different sense, but um, it's, it's I'm different. I don't know. I'm, la I'm laughing because I really, I really should ask Ben baby this, the, the Bengals <laughs> beat writer, because when the bank, when the Bengals lost Burrow this year, I mean, my text messages were, they got to get rid of Taylor. They got to get rid of Taylor. Taylor's horrible. Get rid of Taylor. Taylor doesn't know how to deal with the fans. Taylor doesn't know how to deal with his team. Get him out of there. And I'm just like, guys, just relax. I mean, it is what it is. Either you enjoy it or you don't, right? It's yeah. It, tomorrow the sun rises and, and sets. So <laughs> the last thing we'll do, the last thing we'll do, because I had to ask that because I have yet to be to a Saints game at, at the Silver at the Silver Dome at Mercedes Benz. Benz, I have been to a Texans game and that this year and that was beyond sad because yeah, I don't know if they care about the team that much. They don't care. <laughs> uh, and they but, the best players, so yeah. that's a different story. So Caitlin likes to play a game at the end of the interview, so we're going to do it real quick. If you had one racetrack to visit, 
which one would it be? And if you owned a horse, where would you, what track would you want to win a race at? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm trying to think one I want to visit and haven't gone to. Um, I, <laughs> well, it's kind of funny in light of everything that's going on, but I'd love to visit Santa Anita just because I haven't been and I have been to Del Mar. Oh, no, duh, uh, Saratoga. I'd love to visit Saratoga. Uh, that popped in my head. I think the answer to the question will be the same. I'd love to visit Saratoga and I'd love to win a race there because, I mean, that's just, that is like the definition of horse racing and people that love the sport for what it is. So I, I can't imagine like a better feeling aside from winning the classics than like winning a race at Saratoga. I'm always at training camp though, so I never get to go. <laughs> so here's another question uh, that she likes to ask the rider you would want on that horse president retired however you want oh um like can they be alive or do they it have could to be anybody could be anybody it could uh... be johnny sellers if you want i would have johnny <laughs> sellers in a heartbeat on my horses Eddie or lambert Eddie Arcaro. And I know the answer to this, but many people probably don't. Your favorite horse of all time. She always asks this, and I'm like, I know you're going to ask that, and I already know the answer, but she's going to answer it anyway. Do you know the answer? Like, it, I know the answer. It's it's Manowar. Oh, it's Manowar? Yeah, I knew you were oh, going to see. You thought I was. I thought, thought it was Silver Charm. No, well, he's one of my favorite living horses, but Manowar is the horse that like got me into horse racing. Um, so I have this like love for this horse that I never, I was born 80 years, 83 years after him. No. Yeah. I was born 73 years after him. That took me a second. I don't do math. Well, um, that's how I got into horse racing because I, I read that. I pulled that book off the shelf when I was eight and read it. And I was like, I, I, I want to, I want to ride horses um That's... but i do i do love silver charm i i have a soft spot for american pharaoh too but i'm actually like sitting in front of like the story i wrote on american pharaoh um oh you you put it up yeah it was a great story it. i framed it um and then another like not living horse would be ruffian um even though that story's so sad um i think i probably like i know i'm rambling but i probably like attach myself to horses that have really great books written about them that make you feel like you were there even though you weren't or maybe weren't even alive and the book about ruffian is a fantastic book uh the book about manowar even though it's you know fiction is great and um and honestly i'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf now the book about aladar um uh, and what happened to him that's also a great book but oh i haven't got i haven't read that one it's called wild ride I read that one yeah, it's uh, it's. I have it's, to go get it. Yeah, and I have to go get it. See, I'm, I my favorite book for horse racing is Why Kentucky Became Southern. It was actually uh, the lady that wrote it was doing a dissertation on the early racing circuit in Kentucky, and how Kentucky was considered the West and New York was considered the East and evil, because they had some good horses and Kentucky had great horses. And when they got together, Kentucky, all they wanted to do was beat New York. So you have horses like Kentucky and Lexington and all those types of horses that are named after cities and states. 
that were monster horses that were back in the like 1800s before that was dating predating the civil war so it's really incredible it's a good book too but i really appreciate you coming on i wish we had more time but i know you've got your things to do with the saints and uh hopefully they have a good season stands through breeze um I hope LSU wins all but one game this year, and it's against Texas A&M. <laughs> so. uh, I can't, I can't agree with you there. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll we see. Were, a wager on it. We seriously have to sit there, and one day when you actually have more time, and we have to go through our mental notes of the seven overtime game because we were both there. No, I wasn't there. I was watching. Oh, you weren't. Yeah, I actually fell asleep. Yeah. And woke back up. Ben, ben was there covering it, Ben Baby. I, I was not there, but uh, that was a rough one to be on Eastern time. But, yeah, I've been to some great ones, so we'll definitely have to go through that or great races yeah. or, or anything like that um, when we have time. But, um, yeah, I, I'm glad I'm glad a few years ago we got to meet and uh, you got to take me yeah. to see Charm. And um, I was watching well, You're that. always welcome. You're always welcome to come and – do the a little, tour again and a little harder these days. I'm a little further away, but um, yeah, no, I would love to. I watched a segment on him the other day and it was so great. Um, Old Friends is such a great place and just the stuff, the things they do for this industry is just fantastic. So it's always a place I will like fully support 100%. Yeah, I, so I obviously fully support it and I love it. And I'm sorry Caitlin wasn't here. Um, but Caitlin had to work today, so uh, she got stuck working. But thank you very much for coming on, and uh, we will definitely have you on again, and maybe we'll just have a whole segment on football one day. <laughs> and just throw it to the moon that way. Sounds great. Let's do it. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.